They're listening to us over our mics. They're slowing down our phones. Force quitting apps saves battery. Charging destroys battery. Steve Jobs would never miss misconceptions, misinformation about Apple. It spreads faster than an Android virus. Kidding, or am I? Because there's no such thing as malware on a Mac. Or is there? Never mind reading it in black and white. We see it on Facebook. We're doing our own research, retweeting at the speed of social. But what's even real and what's just really, really fake? I'm Renee Ritchie. I've been interrogating Apple for almost a decade and a half, and I'm going to debunk some of the juiciest iPhone and Mac myths on the planet and maybe just confirm some of the biggest ones as well. Social media apps like Instagram are just so damn good, as in creepy, at showing us ads for the exact things we talk or text about that some people think they simply have to be listening in on us, spying on us through our iPhone mics. And no, but pretty much because they just don't have to. It's been investigated a bunch of times now, and no one's found any evidence to support it, which is actually pretty compelling because Facebook's been caught been busted doing other creepy stuff like spying on the apps we use so they could figure out which ones to buy or copy and recording us and uploading those recordings for analysis and exploitation on their servers. Well, that would be just such a big battery and data hit that it'd be really easy to catch as well. But they already track us like the military in a Mr. Beast video through their apps and across the web. They know who we're connecting with through their social graphs. And they even get our real life transactions through data brokers. So they basically have full on behavioral profiles on all of us, which forget predictive, they can border on the precognitive at times. And also we really only remember the super creepy ads anyway. We just filter out the dozens of dumb ones we see all day, every day. So that just fuels all of these stories. But it's also why Apple's increasingly been building features like app tracking transparency and private relay into all of their products. Isn't true what they say about keeping doctors away? Wrong apples, Dr. Mike. Apple is secretly slowing down our older phones to annoy us into upgrading to newer ones. And that's something that just bubbles up, especially when new versions of iOS and new iPhones hit the whole world all at once every fall. And everyone's spotlight search and photo indexes are rebuilding and updated versions of apps and libraries are downloading for a good day or two. But also when Apple decides not to push some of the most intensive new features to some of the oldest phones because they legitimately think they will trash performance, they get accused of withholding to force upgrades. So there is some damned if you do, damned if you don't, just damned all the time at work here as well. But because Apple makes iPhones that can last five or more years and provides iOS updates for up to five years and as batteries and processors age out and software and apps get heavier, bits rot, junk builds up in that other trunk. People complain and conspiracies spread. But this really came to a head a few years ago when Apple was accused of secretly throttling performance on older phones. See, the year before Apple found out their increasingly high-performance chipsets were causing brownouts on phones with worn-out batteries. So basically, if the processor spiked demand and the battery couldn't meet it, the phone would just shut down to prevent damage and you had to plug it back in in order to reboot it, which could be super inconvenient or even dangerous depending on what you were doing at the time. So Apple fixed the reboot hassle, but also throttled those processors on worn out batteries to prevent the spikes to begin with, which would prevent the brownouts. But they didn't explain it at all well or that a battery replacement could fix it. And they were just hella aggressive about the throttling and nobody even remembered it 
nobody remembered that it had happened until a year later when Geekbench and Reddit just exploded it all over the net. Apple ended up apologizing, providing super cheap battery swaps, added a switch for people who preferred the potential of a brownout to the constancy of throttling, and built better battery management software to greatly reduce the potential for it occurring on new phones. But by then, it had just fed into that whole entire myth and made it so much stickier. Some people insist on force quitting every app all the time, thinking it'll save battery life or increase performance, while others insist you should never, not ever force quit any app under any situation ever. And the truth is, most of the time, force quitting apps actually waste battery life because iOS just doesn't work like a traditional operating system, not like Windows or Android or even the Mac. It has no concept of swapping or paging memory out to SSD. So apps stay in memory, in RAM, in a suspended state until you go back to them and they wake up or iOS needs that memory for something else. And so just jetsums, just jettisons the oldest apps on the stack to make room for the newer ones. Waking an app takes far less power than launching an app. So if you make it a habit to force quit all of your apps, just killing them to watch them die, you're forcing iOS to relaunch them all from scratch each time, every time, which legitimately takes more power. The only exception is if an app goes rogue, if it doesn't suspend properly and leaves processes just churning away. Usually it's like a super thirsty social networking app like Facebook or a cross-compiled game like Pokemon Go, then you'll feel your iPhone get warm and literally see your battery life just draining away. And in that case, just force quit with extreme prejudice. Just don't do it unless it's an emergency and don't ever make a habit out of it. Batteries are fuel and using them depletes them. But some people believe if you don't micromanage your charging, plug in long before it gets to zero and plug out way before it gets to 100, you'll deplete them way, way faster. And here's the thing. I've talked to actual battery engineers and testers at the actual companies that make all this stuff, and they've taken all of that into account for all of us already. So basically, there are really only three things that damage lithium ion batteries, exposing them to heat, keeping them in a high charge state for any length of time, or storing them at a low charge state for an extended length of time. Now, iOS will gate against excessive heat by cutting the brightness, throwing up a temperature warning, and eventually just shutting down. But the point is, don't leave your iPhone out in the sun on a hot day, like on your dashboard or poolside table, and don't leave it on a heater in winter, like in a car dock mounted on a hot air vent. Cold it can recover from when it warms back up, but heat causes permanent damage. For high and low charge states, Apple manages that by kind of lying about the percentages to begin with. 0% isn't really 0%. Your iPhone will shut down a while before it actually completely discharges. If you do plan on storing your iPhone for an extended period of time, just charge it halfway up before turning it off. But otherwise, you're fine. For high charge states, if you leave the setting on, iOS will idle it at 80% anyway and only go to 100% based on machine learning algorithms that figure out when you'll actually need maximum charge, like right before you typically leave for work or school in the morning. Now, you still might be able to reduce gross charging cycles by micromanaging when you plug in and out, but you're exchanging mental health for charging health at that point and losing time and convenience for what might amount to just a few percentage points or a not very expensive battery swap a few years down the line. That is, if you still even have that phone. Back in the electronic Jurassic, when Blackberry and Palm still roamed the earth, Apple had a problem with the iPhone 4. You could kill the cellular connection by putting your finger on the gap between the antenna bands on the bottom. Now, in typical counter-conspiracy fashion, some people then and now 
think this whole thing was exaggerated, just blown totally out of proportion, even all completely made up, that there was in fact no unintended network pause play button on the phone at all. And partially, that's because it just seems so ridiculous now. Also because detuning and attenuation kept getting conflated back then. See, you could attenuate pretty much any phone by wrapping your ugly meat paw of mostly water around it and disrupting enough of the antenna to interfere with the signal. But the iPhone 4, that you could also detune by placing your capacitive flesh finger right on the naked stainless steel bridge spot. Now, cases prevented both of those things, but not everyone used or liked cases. And if you happen to be in an area with poor cellular service or signal strength, which wasn't at all uncommon back then, the drop could be enough to just kill your reception completely. But yes, anyone could objectively see the detuning by going into field test mode, but Apple eventually held a press conference and gave away free bumpers, and those insulated the antennas from our death touches, and then engineered full fixes for the Verizon iPhone 4, and half a year later, all versions of the iPhone 4S. And since then, antenna systems have gotten way smarter and more advanced, and RF transparency way more sophisticated. So neither is really any sort of problem anymore, but it absolutely sure as hell was back then. The idea that Macs just don't get viruses dates back to the heady days of Windows 98 and XP, when Microsoft had almost complete dominance of the personal computer market, but hardly a lick of security built into their operating system, like at all. And since malware is an economic crime where bad actors wanna hit the biggest target at the least expense, they cared almost nothing about the Mac, which not only had better for the time security, thanks to its BSD Unix foundations, but also just nowhere nearly an install base worth bothering with. Now, Windows security has steadily improved over the last decade, and thanks to the iPhone and iPad, Apple's profile has risen considerably, enormously. Also, the types, goals, availability, motivation, and distribution methods for malware have evolved as well, especially with the growth of the internet, which has made adware and especially phishing a problem for everyone because it really doesn't care what OS you have. It just wants all of your accounts. And you can see the effect that all of this has had just by how much effort Apple's been putting into hardening the Mac over these last few years. Everything from Xprotect, which is their constantly updated malware scanner to Gatekeeper, which can prevent non-App Store apps or signed apps from installing in the first place, to sandboxes, secure boot, and read-only system volumes, all to mitigate against malware-level tampering. But it's still never been not truer, so Apple has to keep tightening up those blast doors, and we all have to make sure we don't open them back up again every time a fake free app or dodgy porn link just flies into our DMs. Apple used to use NVIDIA graphics cards, and then they didn't much to the consternation of Kudistans everywhere. And yes, there was an incident, a defect that Apple felt NVIDIA failed to take responsibility for, and that caused some Tay-Tay level bad blood. But ultimately, these are two hugely successful companies with two very different agendas. NVIDIA wants to reduce PCs to commodity front ends for their massive graphics cards. So it doesn't matter who you buy your box from or how you build your rig, as long as you have NVIDIA inside, you're golden. And Apple, by contrast, wanted to reduce GPUs to commodity cores for their metal framework. So it didn't matter which cards they sourced, they'd all just work with macOS. But where AMD was willing to let Apple do whatever they wanted, including bypassing everything and going straight to the lowercase metal, if and when they wanted to, NVIDIA was just 
absolutely not. Now, in hindsight, since Apple has switched to M1 Silicon, it's easy to see why they wanted what they wanted because apps that used metal did in fact just work with M1. Even the Intel versions, even under x86 emulation, often better than they did on Intel directly. And now Apple doesn't have to worry about compatibility and they can just focus on making better GPUs and more specific accelerators all the time and profit. But it's hard to fault NVIDIA for being so NVIDIA about it either, even though going on a year later, you can't so much as sell an organ for a 3090. But that is what it is. Because when you have two companies so hugely successful, powerful, and yes, bullheaded, neither is gonna flinch until the market hurts or otherwise motivates one of them or both of them enough to force it. My own personal Richie's Law. Pretty much anytime anyone says Steve Jobs would never do that, you can find several examples, several instances of Steve Jobs doing pretty much exactly that. The only major exception that comes to mind is letting the butterfly keyboard stay on the market for as long as it did, given how fast he killed the G4 Cube and reverted the buttonless iPod Shuffle and wide body iPod Nano. It's just hard to see him not mobile me flamethrowering that thing within a year, 18 months max. But Steve was Steve and Tim is Tim. And that was then and this is now. So either way, it's still one of the absolute laziest logical fallacies to drop on any particular argument ever. But for real true insight into how Steve Jobs actually ran Apple, check out Ken Kashinda's creative selection inside Apple's design process during the golden age of Steve Jobs. How Steve set up small teams assigned direct responsibility and insisted on intense focus to produce amazing results. And you can get the audio version straight from today's sponsor, Audible. In fact, as an Audible member, you can choose any one title a month, a classic, a bestseller, a hot new release, and it's yours to keep forever. But you can also get access to Audible's streaming library, the Plus catalog, including podcasts, originals, and way, way more. And you can stream all you want, as much as you want. I've been using Audible for over a decade, more even. Back then, I'd listen for hours during my daily commutes to and from work. Now I listen while going for walks or cooking or cleaning. And I've gotten my whole family hooked on it as well. They all listen together. It's amazing. And this holiday season is the absolute best time to Audible because you can get 60% off your first three months. Just visit audible.com slash Richie or text Renee Ritchie to 500-500 and save 60% on your first three months. That's audible.com slash Renee Ritchie, text Renee Ritchie to 500-500, or just click the button on the bottom of the screen. Clicking that button really helps out the channel, and so does hitting up this playlist for more of everything Apple has coming all of our way in 2022. Hit up that playlist, and I'll see you in the next video.